The following is a message by Dr. Dennis Johnson from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. Let us pray together. Father, we have sung that it's not our work, not our achievement, not our righteousness, not our brilliance, nothing in us can be the rock of foundation for our hope, our joy, our peace. It's the work of Christ. It's your grace, Father, in sending him for us. Write that truth so deeply in our hearts every day as we study the word, that we will not be forgetful, but remember that it is all of your grace and all for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This semester, as Dr. Fesco will be opening up to us the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians and elsewhere on Tuesdays, The rest of the faculty is going to be proclaiming, uh, briefly, portions of God's word from the book of Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy, the fifth book of Moses. So if you would open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 9, I'm actually going to read from Deuteronomy 9.1 through chapter 10, verse 5. Uh, It's a long text. We won't deal with every detail. But uh, we want to hear the big picture here. Moses addressing the people of Israel on the plains of Moab, preparing them to enter into the land. And God's word says, Hear, O Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today to go in to dispossess nations greater and mightier than yourselves, cities great and fortified up to heaven, a people great and tall, the sons of the Anakim, whom you know and of whom you have heard it said, who can stand before the sons of Anak? Know therefore today that he who goes over before you as a consuming fire is the Lord your God. He will destroy them and subdue them before you. So you shall drive them out and make them perish quickly as the Lord has promised you. Do not say in your heart after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you, It is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. Whereas it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you going in to possess their land. But because of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God is driving them out from before you. And that he may confirm the word that the Lord swore to your fathers to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stubborn people. Remember and do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. From the day you came out from the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. Even at Horeb, you provoked the Lord to wrath, and the Lord was so angry with you that he was ready to destroy you. When I went up the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant that the Lord made with you, I remained on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water. 
And the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone written with the finger of God, and on them were all the words that the Lord had spoken with you on the mountain out of the midst of the fire on the day of the assembly. And at the end of 40 days and 40 nights, the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant. Then the Lord said to me, Arise, go down quickly from here, for your people whom you have brought from Egypt have acted corruptly. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made themselves a metal image. Furthermore, the Lord said to me, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stubborn people. Let me alone that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven, and I will make of you a nation mightier and greater than they. So I turned and came down from the mountain, and the mountain was burning with fire, and the two tablets of the covenant were in my two hands. And I looked, and behold, you had sinned against the Lord your God. You had made yourselves a golden calf. You had turned aside quickly from the way that the Lord had commanded you. So I took hold of the two tablets and threw them out of my two hands and broke them before your eyes. Then I lay prostrate before the Lord as before, forty days and forty nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water because of all the sin that you had committed in doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. For I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure that the Lord bore against you so that he was ready to destroy you. But the Lord listened to me at that time also. And the Lord was so angry with Aaron that he was ready to destroy him. And I prayed for Aaron also at the same time. And then I took the sinful thing, the calf that you had made, and burned it with fire and crushed it, grinding it very small until it was as fine as dust. And I threw down the dust of it into the brook that ran down from the mountain. At Tabera also, and at Massa, and at Kibroth Hataava, you provoked the Lord to wrath. And when the Lord sent you from Kadesh Barnea, saying, Go up and take possession of the land that I have given you, then you rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God and did not believe him or obey his voice. You've been rebellious, you've been rebellious against the Lord from the day that I knew you. So I lay prostrate before the Lord for these 40 days and 40 nights because the Lord had said he would destroy you. And I prayed to the Lord, O Lord God, destroy not your people and your heritage whom you've redeemed through your greatness, whom you've brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do not regard the stubbornness of this people or their wickedness or their sin, lest the land from which you brought us say, because the Lord was not able to bring them into the land he promised them, and because he hated them, he has brought them out to put them to death in the wilderness. For they are your people and your heritage, whom you brought out by your great power and by your outstretched arm. At that time, the Lord said to me, cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first and come up to me on the mountain and make an ark of wood and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets that you broke and you shall put them in the ark. So I made an ark of acacia wood and cut two tablets of stone like the first and went up the mountain with the two tablets in my hand and he wrote on the tablets in the same writing as before the Ten Commandments that the Lord had spoken to you on the mountain out of the midst of the fire on the day of the assembly. And the Lord gave them to me. Then I turned and came down from the mountain and put the tablets in the ark that I had made. And there they are, as the Lord commanded me. This is God's word. May he write it on our hearts. Deuteronomy gets its name in English from the Greek Septuagint name. Second law, 
Uh, Moses repeating many of the commandments from Exodus and elsewhere to prepare God's people to go into the land. As you heard, God had promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when they were just sojourners in the land uh, that eventually their descendants would come and resettle in this land. Uh, you know the story. Uh, Jacob and family left the land of promise uh, during time of famine and were first treated by the Egyptians as kind of honored guests for the sake of Joseph, second in command to Pharaoh. But once the Pharaoh who knew Joseph died, their status morphed to slaves. God finally raised up Moses and brought them out of slavery and on toward their land. But as Moses says here at Kadesh Barnea, they wouldn't believe him. And so their parents, the parents of those who were hearing Moses, disbelieved and died in the desert. But now a new generation is facing a new phase of life. And it's exciting, but it's also daunting. It's exciting because now they will have a place to call home, a place to put down roots, to raise crops and herds and children after centuries of slaving in Egypt and decades of nomadic camping in the wilderness. In some respects, Canaan would be a kind of echo of Eden and a preview of a new heaven and a new earth in which people would thrive under God's righteous rule. But that's, of course, only in some respects because the Israelites were a sin-stained people and Canaan was a sin-stained land populated by sin-stained peoples who were not exactly welcoming the descendants of Abraham with open arms. Exciting, but also daunting, as Moses begins this chapter by reminding them that they're moving in to dispossess nations greater and stronger, cities fortified up to heaven. It's tough. It's going to be daunting. And perhaps their greatest danger is forgetfulness, forgetting who the Lord is, forgetting what he's done for them, what he will do for them. I thought about this text rather than something earlier in Deuteronomy because it's a great text for people about to start a new chapter. And we're still early in the semester. We're starting a new academic year. Some of you are starting a whole new course of study. Um, exciting, but also a little daunting. And maybe you're mindful of the danger of forgetfulness too about, say, Greek participles or such things. Well, it's something much more important that we need to remember that Israel needs to remember. Uh, Moses, in these early chapters, shows that uh, he's very much aware that Israel was in danger of spiritual amnesia. In fact, in the eighth chapter, he had said, be careful when you come into the land, lest you forget the Lord your God. Remember, 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 it's all over the place. And here, he focuses especially on this issue, why does the Lord, why is the Lord about to bring his people into his land. And Moses, as you notice, somewhat belabors the point, it's not because they're so good. Not because of your righteousness. Back in chapter 7, he said, it's not because you're so populous. It's not because you're so many. You're the fewest of the peoples of the earth. So it's not external qualifications that bring you into this land. Um, I would say to you, it's not necessarily your external qualifications that bring you to the privilege of spending these years and studying the word of God. Yeah, you did have to have a good GPA on your 
bachelor's transcript and have a good academic reference and so on. There are some qualifications there, but ultimately, don't think it's about you. But here in 9, it's not just, you know, we might be tempted to say, well, you know, Israel might have been tempted to say, well, we're few, but we're holy. And God's not going to let them go there. Not because of your righteousness. Again and again and again, not because of your righteousness. Not because of your righteousness, but because the uh, peoples now in the land are very wicked and deserve to be expelled and exterminated. Not because of your righteousness, but because God is faithful to his promises. Verse 6, he's, he's bringing you in not because you're so good and holy, but because he's going to keep his word, confirm his promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But what's especially striking, and the part that he wants to emphasize in this section, not because of your righteousness, because you, in fact, are a people deserving destruction, that's what he belabors, isn't it? Sinai and the other passages. I had to actually look up these other place names in 22. Tabera and Masa, I knew that one. And Kibroth Hata'ava, practice that in Hebrew. Those are texts, those are other instances of Israel's unbelief and disobedience. Uh, Tabera, burning when the complainers were burned by fire, Numbers 11. Masa, when Israel tested the Lord because they couldn't find water, but he provided water from the rock, Exodus 17. Kibroth Hata'ava, graves of craving, when people craved meat, and God gave them the meat, but then struck them down for their unbelief and discontent. And then, of course, Kadesh Barnea, when they we're on the brink of going into the land, exciting but daunting. The 12 spies came back, said, this is a great land. And the people are really big. And 10 of the 12 spies focused on the daunting part. Joshua and Caleb said, no, no, the Lord will bring us in. And the people believed the 10. And so the generation died in the wilderness. And now their children are here. And you notice Moses doesn't say, now, I know your parents were not righteous and unbelieving, but I'm looking for better things from you. And nobody apparently in the crowd raised their hand and said, but Moses, that was our parents. We're much more righteous. We're much more unbelieving. He's speaking to Israel, to us as a body. And he says, it's not your righteousness, because left to yourselves, you're prone to disbelieve and you're prone to disobey. But the Lord's going to bring them in. And the Lord will bring you through as you trust him. Because he's faithful to his word. But also for one more thing. And this is, I think, the striking thing. The Lord will bring them in because they have an intercessor to whose voice the Lord will listen. Do you hear how much of this text, as, he's talk, as Moses is talking about what's going on at Horeb Sinai, he talks about not only their rebellion, but his role as the pleader for Israel. Forty days and forty nights, he pleads, fasting, not drinking anything. He pleads for Israel. He pleads for Israel at the top of the mountain before he goes down after the forty days in which he's received the law. And then after he's destroyed the golden calf, forty days and forty nights more, he's pleading for Israel. Don't destroy them. Don't destroy your people and your heritage. Lord, protect your reputation. 
They belong to you. If you strike them down in the desert, the Egyptians will say, ha, he wasn't strong enough to bring them in. Or he really hated them. Despite all this claim to love Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their children, he really hated them. But God provides instead an intercessor, and Moses says, Lord, be jealous for your reputation, and God hears, and God hears. That's why I wanted to read into chapter 10, because Moses ends with kind of his appeal. They're your people and your heritage at the end of 9. And then he simply implies that the Lord granted his request. The Lord said, we're going to renew the covenant, cut new, two more tablets, I'll write the word again, put them in the ark of the covenant. Why are you here? Why do you get to be here? To saturate your heart and mind in the word of the living God, the creator of the universe, the redeemer of his people. Why do you get to be here? Because of your brilliance? No. Deuteronomy 7 kicked that out of the water. Not because Israel was populous, qualified. Because of your righteousness? No. Our text makes that plainly, painfully clear. It's not because we're righteous enough. It's because we have an intercessor. Better than Moses. Better than Moses who prays for us. Meredith Klein in his brief commentary on Deuteronomy makes this comment about this point and I think he's exactly right. He says, in this, more remarkably than any other aspect of his ministry, Moses' mediatorship prefigured the antitypical mediatorship of Christ. No wonder word doesn't know that word. I can't even pronounce it. Mediatorship. Mediatorship. Moses prefigured Jesus, the mediator. Put it that way, huh? Who also made intercession for the transgressors, Isaiah 53, 12. When at Sinai, God threatened to blot out Israel and offered to exalt Moses' descendants as a new covenant nation, Moses faithfully fulfilled his office as mediator on behalf of Israel rather than grasp the opportunity to become a second Abraham. In fact, he offered himself as a second Isaac on the altar. If there must be a blotting out, you can look back to Exodus 32 for this, if there must be a blotting out, Moses pleaded that rather than being the one exception to the judgment, he alone might be blotted out as a means of securing forgiveness for others. He, to quote Psalm 106, stood before the Lord in the breach to turn away his wrath, lest the Lord should destroy them. I think Dr. Klein's right. Like Israel, we need a mediator whose voice the Lord's heard and hears, and we have one in Jesus, who actually was blotted out of the book of life when he bore the wrath of God for our place, but took up his life again in resurrection and now lives ever to intercede for us. How can we be here studying this? We need to remember, not because of our righteousness, not because of our academic preparation, not because of our discipline, Good things to pursue, but not because of those things, but because we have a righteous intercessor, intercessor at the right hand of God. Not what my hands have done can save my guilty soul, 
nor qualify me to study with you in a place like this. Remember, remember, don't forget, our only hope is that we have an intercessor better than Moses. As Paul said to Titus in Titus 3, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Not your righteousness. Jesus, your faithful, sacrificial, living intercessor. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for leading us to this good place. We know it's not the home that Canaan previewed, the ultimate new heavens and new earth, but we've experienced the beginning of that new creation in the Spirit's work in our life. And we know it's not because of what our hands have done or our hearts have thought, not because of righteousness that we've done, but because of Jesus' righteousness and sacrifice, because of his resurrection and his ascension and his prayer for us at your right hand. Keep us remembering that, Father. When the studies go hard, and actually when we do well on papers or quizzes or tests, keep us remembering our place in your heart and our place in this time of privilege to study and saturate our minds and hearts in your word are secured by Jesus, our faithful intercessor. We pray in his name. Amen. You're dismissed. Copyright 2014, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.